recording from Boulder, Colorado on July 22nd, 2017. It's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. This is a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt discuss pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Agostinelli, and I am with two close friends, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, who we call the greatest of all sinners. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Fantastic. Very excited to be here today. Great to see you again after a few weeks. And my brother, Paul. Great. Awesome. Good morning. Dr. Zen, the doctor (laughs) is in. No stethoscope on this one. Um, We've got some really cool topics to discuss today. We're going to talk about the uh, Colorado Shakespeare Festival's uh, new Hamlet with Mm -hmm. a female playing the lead role. Mm -hmm. Uh, making a lot of good news. Uh, we're going to revisit Wonder Woman, which we chatted about briefly last week, and I want to get your guys' sense after you've thought about it a little bit more and seen the movie, Jeff. Um, O.J. Simpson is back in the news, to all of our great chagrin, perhaps, oh. but there may be some interesting things to reflect upon with that case, as there always is. And I'm going to pose to you guys a question about uh, non-hyperpartisan media. So Whoa. get your brains Ooh. thinking, because I'm going to ask you some questions about what your recommendations might all be. Right. But before we do all that... I think I'd like to hear what's on your mind, Jeff. Some opening comments for you guys. I am excited about the possibility of sort of in a philosophical way turning our heads and coughing for Dr. Zen today. Just, you know, kind of in an existential way. (laughs) Okay. Um, I missed you guys. Yeah. I'm in a bit of pain right now and uh, probably jacked up with over a thousand milligrams of testosterone surgically inserted high up on my right butt cheek. (laughs) Holy cow. Really, really, it happened. So this could be a whole new journey for me Mm -hmm. that you guys are on with me today. My wife, who is a cancer care, breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. has gone through hormone therapy, insists it was very helpful to her, insists that I rec- rectify a lot of very difficult things in my life. Hormones <laughs> might be a good <laughs> try, good shot wow, okay. at fixing things. It's so a cure-all. A bit of an apology from the beginning yeah. uh, in advance if it gets really ugly. Okay. Um, we are evidently the last folks on earth, and when I say we, I mean you two, <laughs> to have uh, heard Despacito. Mm. The most streamed song of all time, uh, Despacito means uh, slowly in Spanish. It's a love letter to Puerto Rico. It's it's supposedly even have uh, hyped up like tourism uh, to Puerto Rico. Wow. a lovely brunette in it that is a strong Christian girl, Uh I think with the large crucifix she's wearing. Uh At least I suspect that. Uh, In a mere six months after its release date, Despacito made history this Wednesday for being the most streamed track of all time. Uh, in a little more than six months, the song by a Puerto Rican singer, uh, Louis Fonsi and uh, Daddy Yankee. I know you guys like Daddy Yankee. Daddy Yankee. Hey. It's a company remix featuring Justin Bieber, who we've not been able to escape. Uh, combined global streams of more than 4.6 billion plays uh, across uh, leading streaming platforms, making it the most streamed song of all time. I requested Despacito at a wedding reception on Thursday. Early on, it caused a riot. If you can't get with a bridesmaid when Despacito is playing, you should seriously consider retirement or at least waiting to the end of the night when inevitably Shout is playing and all the single mothers are shaking their groove thing. Holy grail. This is an opportunity for us to have our listeners go find something for us, something that we want, that we need, that we can't find. Um, I need someone to send us through email or Twitter or our Instagram account or our, or Snapchat us uh, the the vodka glasses near the beginning of John Wick 2, which, by the oh, way, you guys okay. haven't seen it. 
John Wick, both one and two, are really fun. Keanu Reeves. I've heard, I've heard good things. Haven't seen it personally. Not a lot of emotional range expected from John Wick. No. Keanu Reeves pulls it off beautifully. <laughs> and uh, Peter, I think it's, is it Stormare? Or Stormare is a, is Stormare, a character I actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's this peace offering at the beginning of it with these lovely uh, vodka glasses. I desperately want one of them. So that's the holy grail that for this is week. The, I think we have to have a prize in mind that we have to presumably somebody in the Southern California area is going to be the one who's capable of getting this for you. Yeah. This movie wasn't filmed on location somewhere, I'm assuming, probably sound stages in, uh, in, in Hollywood. I don't know. Don't know. We don't know. But there are apparently some vodka glasses floating around in the, in the back set of one of the studios that if somebody can get their hands on, the greatest of all sinners will bestow upon you. I will... I will uh, anoint you into the Knights Templar, which I've been a part of a secret organization that's <laughs> able to cow. do that for the last... Now he tells us. We're on like episode 16, and the fact that he's in Knights Templar comes out Whoa. now. Whoa. That's got to... Who knew? Cut. Come on. I, I think that's that text At least like in episode three or four. I mean, I think we hit Dan Brown in episode two or something. Jeff, I we? do got a question for you. Or though. a $10 Amazon gift card. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Knights Templar, <laughs> Amazon right. gift card. Right, yeah. Not if when you get the vodka glass from the movie. What do you drink in it that really honors... The Keanu Reeveness of the character. <laughs> it would definitely, to me, because he's a bourbon guy in the movie, ah. and I'm a bourbon guy, mm-hmm. and so he's drinking throughout. Uh, he's drinking a Blanton Special Reserve. Oh, okay. And so wow. definitely, that is. And by the way, spectacular choice. Mm-hmm. Super lovely. That would be great. So okay. We'll toast to that. We'll drink. A well answered, sir. Yeah. So, um, and then last, the terrible moment for a man. I've seen it in a couple of instances, and recently experienced it at a vow renewal I had with my wife at our 25th vow renewal. That terrible moment for men, and and men understand what this is, when we first catch the glimpse of the top of our head and there's not just hair there, we see the bald spot. The absence of hair. So maybe it's a picture or a video of an event and you think, who's the bald guy? And then the horror slowly creeps through your veins and you get the chills where your chicken skin stands up uh, and the hair... Well, whatever you have left stands on end, and you realize that the guy with the bald spot is you. <laughs> Can you, you know do what your, I'm talking about? Well, I, I, I do to some extent. Yes, it's not fully formed up top for me a- anymore, but it's not a, an enormous part. <laughs> Tip your head down. I, I want to okay. see. All right, you oh. see? Yeah, just well, enough it's, of it. It's just a little something going on there. It's, 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 and it's disturbing. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of those jarring moments in your lifetime yes. when something like that happens. I was watching the movie Patton again. Uh, the, the other day. As you do every other Thursday, just to <laughs> just stay in the mood. Or is that the testosterone talking? <laughs> I don't know anymore. Um, but there's this scene where everything is settled, and the Russians are there, and George C. Scott is there, and they're panning in back of the band. And you think about it, that's kind of a clever shot, but you just see... A lot of these men are, for the first time in their lives, realizing that they have a bald spot. That's all you see. The band is a bunch of men with this thing. The top of their head showing. So anyway, I just thought that was... We never hear it talked about, but I've never spoken with a man of a certain age who has not had that moment. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I... 
I, I think Ray maybe hasn't had that moment from, from the confidence <laughs> he just expressed a few minutes yeah. ago, which I, 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 I'm sorry to say is misplaced confidence. But my, my, my shameful confession on this subject is that fearing that kind of moment where, yes, the male pattern baldness kicks in or the comb over, the desire yeah. to comb over kicks in. I actually look forward to ordaining as a Zen Buddhist priest, which I oh. did 10 years ago, and I shaved my head. And I had my head shaved for about two years before I disrobed from my ordination. But I got to say, one of the things that I was happy about when I shaved is that I would never have to go through that moment. <laughs> so, he was going to be bald so all the time. As we all get ready to be ordained to escape the shame of the, uh, the, the bald spot. So that's it. That's the opener there. Brother. That's, that's the, what you get. That's the opener. Well, that is more than enough. Um, so the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, which is a well-known uh, summer theater, they do a, a series of performances every year. And this year they're doing Hamlin for the first time in their history, which dates back uh, nine performances over eight decades, something of that sort. Um, there's a female playing the lead role. I wanted to get your guys' uh, sense for uh, it's making a lot of great news in the New York Times, a couple of articles. Uh, the shows are sold out. Uh, what do you think? So let me start with this. Can I? Is yes. That, oh, it's not me. It's not me. I know the it's podcast not you. is all about me. <laughs> I go. I jumped on. I'm going to call back to you and give you one more shot before we talk about Hamlet, which is the the, the statistics around Despacito. Come on, Russian hackers are doing that. Oh. You, you don't expect me to believe that, do you? <laughs> if you see the video, you understand that it is not Russian hackers, but every. Hispanic male in the history of getting played again, played again, played again. And that's, no, every male who's ever lived seen play it again, play it again, play it again. I have, I, seen the, it. I have seen the recent Shakira video, and that one I've played more than once. And that one I hope, I hope gets that kind of coverage as well. Shakira is awesome. Female, powerful females, heroes, and questioners, and and you know, having having those great existential questions that have always, for the literary canon, the life of the literary canon, but in the voices of male of men, and to have that in a, a woman coming through, it's just a fantastic thing. Studied Shakespeare in graduate school, loved reading alternate versions and seeing alternate uh, stagings of Shakespeare's plays. I think he's so universal. He's always dealing with topical subjects of power and family um, having to do with Elizabethan England, but they're always existential questions about human beings. And you can mix and match all sorts of things, race, uh, gender, in, in all of the different roles, and, and it's endlessly rich. So I haven't seen this. I haven't even heard much about it, but um, bully for her. <laughs> what do you think, Slash him. Yeah. Yes. So, first of all, I, I have attended the Colorado Shakespeare Festival version of Hamlet this year. By the way, which claims to be the second oldest Shakespeare Festival in the nation. What? True. And um, I was, to be honest with you, so my son is dating the understudy in Hamlet. And I was super upset about seeing her. And instead was treated to a stunning performance by, um, I think it's Lenny Klingon. I think that's how you say it. And if I messed up her name, I'm very sorry about that. But so Tom Stoppard has cast a woman, Lenny Klingeman, 
uh, in the title role. Now, lots of women have played Hamlet, mm-hmm. but played him as a man. Mm-hmm. Very few have. And, and part of it, you said, you know, you've studied Shakespeare in college. Well, you to me that. <laughs> but, um, but I, I really, forsooth. <laughs> I think that there's a maybe there's no other author where you do violence to the author in a way by changing anything. In, in Hamlet, changing anything. Ooh. And so alternative readings, visionings, and that sort of thing, I'm extremely resistant to that sort of thing. I wanted to hate this. I was so ready to hate this oh-so-preciously PC gender-bending rendition, but it was executed masterfully. I loved it. And, and Klingerman turning up the Hamlet crazy of Mel Gibson to 11. And so Ooh. in 1988, I saw Val Kilmer as mm-hmm. Hamlet in the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, and he did a masterful turn with, like, the art of noise playing between scene changes and this and that. It was so great. I didn't think it would be topped at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, but the Stoppard ver- version has no breaks and revels in breaking the rules, but doesn't seem to do it for breaking's sake. There's art here, and there's some clunky notes, like the decision to change all the he's and she's, but to leave the immortal line now cracks a noble heart. Good night, sweet prince. And flights of angels sing me to thy rest when it's a girl. So it was just a little jarring. It was just a little strange, but it worked. In it a good great. way. And good luck nice. finding tickets after two write-ups in the New York Times. Indeed, indeed. Loved it. They loved it, too. I have a haiku, though, for you. Oh. Shakespearean-based Colorado Shakespeare Festival haiku. Good night, sweet prince. S. In grave the bard turns. In to face a raven lord. Mm. Very nice, Ruggles. So, <laughs> Lenny Klingerman. Lenny Klingerman. Oh, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Lenny Klingerman. She says this in, in, uh, in um, New York Times, and this transitions us to Wonder Woman, which I want to talk about. Please, Love this take topic. the baton and run with it. Lenny Klingman says, A woman playing Hamlet isn't that unusual. I, this is from the article. A woman playing Hamlet isn't that unusual. A woman playing Hamlet as a woman is much more rare. A woman playing Hamlet as if she was Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman? <laughs> this is from, you know what, actually? Um, this might be from the Boulder Daily Camera or Westworld, uh, Westward article mm. about the same sort of thing. Sorry about that. But Klingman says this. I saw the film Wonder Woman in the first week of rehearsal and thought that. I'm going to do that <laughs> on stage. Uh, read an email from the actress Lena Klingelman, who now stars as Hamlet in the Colorado Shakespeare Festival in Boulder. No questioning of Wonder Woman's ability or gender of equivalency, just pure human potential. So I want to riff into Wonder Woman here mm-hmm. real quick, which mm-hmm. you had seen Wonder Woman. I hadn't last time. I did. I loved it. And I went and saw it, and I loved it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were aspects I want to challenge a little bit. Um, because I told you that I, I never thought that Wonder Woman would be in a modern world, be able to really pull off a star turn on her own because we've had such terrible pictures, in the, uh, especially in the comics world with Elektra and Catwoman and that sort of thing. But I really enjoyed Wonder Woman. I thought it was well done. I thought Gal Gadot just is a laser coming off the screen into our souls. And, but I was disappointed in this because I heard your poetry. You didn't speak words. You spewed poetry about Wonder Woman last podcast, about her feminine energy and and, the, and how she was bringing that. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I'm disappointed with how much of a dude Wonder Woman is. <laughs> Damn it, she's just like us, except so pretty. 
Like us, how she's often driven by rage, how she's so surrounded by violence, kicking ass, taking names. It had such great promise, and she's radiant on the screen. Screen. Time did a recent interview with director Patty Jenkins, who I was ready to criticize her too, and she was great. I thought the movie was well done. She was, I thought, a director of, of, of super promise. I'm very excited about it. And in Time Magazine, she states in relevant part, new kinds of heroics need to be celebrated, like love, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, diplomacy, or we're not going to get there. No one is coming to save us. Paul, in Wonder Woman, can you name one instance of her thoughtfulness or forgiveness or diplomacy? She's Captain America, kicking ass, taking names, using a shield, a defensive, uh, <laughs> to chop people in half and kill everybody, stab people in the heart, but so sexy, like distractingly sexy. Um, what is, uh, what's your objection? Well, I gotta half agree with you. You're you're right in that it's the, the the tenor of her heroism has this kind of aggression to it. And my point last week, which you've taken to me up, was that she didn't use a projectile weapon. She uses a shield. She uses a bracelet. She uses sure. the lasso of truth. Sure. All of which are more kind of feminine symbols, if you will. But yeah, she definitely uses them in an aggressive, hostile, <laughs> masculine way. I gotta agree with you on that. But I still maintain that there is a difference in quality. In the way this movie presented some things, it's an action movie. you got to have those things. I think the symbolism of all of the defensive weapons, none of the projectile weapons, is powerful. I think there's this one scene that I think they set up in order to bring out this quality that I think you're looking for and maybe wanted more of, which is when they're running down the trench and it's, we have to go save the village. And they're like, no, the village is toast. We cannot do that. We have to go get the bad guy down the line, right? She's like, no, we're saving the village, right? And she yeah. runs across. Yeah. And that was staged. I mean, obviously staged, but it was staged as I'm a force of nurturance. I'm a, I'm a force of salvation. I'm not a force of destruction, even though ultimately she becomes a force of destruction. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to honor that little hat tip towards the feminine, yeah. but fundamentally, yeah, I, see, I, I hear what you're saying. So I'm kind of excited about the next movie. Yeah. Because yeah. will we be able to explore more of that? You know, where she becomes something different, something special. Women don't have to be different than men in every way. They don't. But they are different than men in some ways. And in ways that should be celebrated that have never been celebrated, which would be such a great opportunity for us. So I like the defense. I buy every bit of it. And... Uh, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm ready for Wonder Woman too. Indeed, I think Patty Jenkins has bought herself a lot of latitude <laughs> and a lot of budget to be very exploratory on the next one, so we shall see. I think we're all looking forward to it. So, Jeff, I don't know if back in the 90s you were glued to the TV the way Paul and I were on certain days watching the O.J. Simpson trial, but we were doing so because we were both between jobs at that time. And it was the early <laughs> days of email, and we'd be swapping with a friend of ours who were living in Hawaii, um, uh, making comment daily commentary on, on the absurdities of that whole um, trial. So it's a little bit in our DNA. I don't know if you were a big fan, but he is back in the news because he was recently granted parole. I don't think he'll get out of prison for a few weeks yet, if not a few months. Um, but he'll be back on the streets 
I want to get your guys' impression, particularly yours, Paul, because I know you've been watching the recent OJ Made in America documentary to refresh you on the events of the uh, I, long I, ago. I have, and, yeah. and it's very resonant because, as you say, we were very much captivated by the appalling spectacle of the trial itself. And I had actually just moved out of Los Angeles mm -hmm. a few months before the trial started um, in early 1994. And I had been there for the previous two years, including the years of the Rodney King uh the Rodney King, you know, uh, debacle that had happened there, and then the original, original Denny riots that were going there, and that's what that is what is just fascinating to me in this in this incredibly powerful way about the case itself, and watching this new documentary, which won an Oscar last year. It's not that new; it's about it's about a year old. Is is the 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 strains of racial violence, the the strains of celebrity culture that was that were emergent in those years. Um, the athletic worship that you had, particularly in Los Angeles, with OJ being a USC star before he became a Buffalo Bill star, and then this um, latent um, uh, and oftentimes not latent violence of men uh, towards women and domestic violence strain, very much kind of submerged in our culture, but kind of bursting out in this way, uh, in in this case. And it, it all came together in this kind of just toxic kind of mix. And the thing that just resonates for me now is I could call this epic karma. Because, <laughs> you know, you look at the, the case itself, and, and most people who've looked at the case, there's very little doubt that he committed the murders. Okay, if you just look at it. Um, and so the question isn't, did he do it? The question is, how did he get off? Like, what was going on? in this whole drama. And when you look back at the, the racial riots that were happening in Los Angeles, when you look back at the institutional racism that was, that was being perpetrated um, in various different ways across cultures, um, you know, really going back for decades, you very clearly see the response that was part of the black community when he was brought to trial. Even though ironically, he was not, not associated so much with the black community itself mm -hmm. as an activist or, a, or, or any, any sort of leader in that way, a civil, civil rights leader at all. Um, but you look back and you understand exactly why um, those jurors felt that he should be exonerated. You, felt, you, you understand exactly why the community of black people wanted him to get off. We're thrilled about him to get off. And you look at it from one perspective and you look at it from my perspective, you're appalled that anybody could feel <laughs> that way. But when you put it in the context of society and decades of abuse, which themselves doubtless had their own causes to them, you start to understand this kind of amazing uh, complexity of us as human beings. And you, I mean, my heart just kind of bursts open with, the, the injustices that we perpetrate unknowingly and the way those get perpetuated into further injustices <laughs> over and over and over again. And Jeff, you're a lawyer. You're, you're about serving justice. And I don't know, what, what's your response to this whole thing? Well, the, the interesting thing to me is that OJ is one of the only black men in America, it seems, in a scary time that is receiving justice in some ways, in ways that makes us crazy. Because I believe that it was just to acquit him of the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, as, as monstrous as that sounds, because we all have a feeling that he indeed was guilty of some way, but he was found um, where that was not proven 
uh, that he was not found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in the court of law, which is enormously important. And there are so many times in our history where black men did not get that benefit of the presumption of innocence, where the people have to prove that he was guilty, and they did so, but then they did, and I, I joke about this with some of my fellow uh, criminal defense attorneys, I often say I would never win a trial if law enforcement and victims and witnesses would just tell the truth of whatever happened. Because whatever happened in the truth is very is often muddy and mixed up and mm -hmm. not perfect. And you want justice. You know what happens sometimes as a cop or as a or you think you do. And so you'll put blood on socks. You'll do things that you did not need to do, but that are horrific. You cannot frame a man, let alone a black man. You know you can't. <laughs> Um, and that's exactly what happened. And, but the thing is, they framed him for a murder he committed and, and, and <laughs> mucked it up. And so I was I was horrified by him being sentenced to what he was sentenced in that Nevada. Again, I'm not I'm not apologizing for mm -hmm. his behavior. It's it's abominable. But it was it's I thought it was 36 years that he was given. Yeah, um, nine to 33. I think the nine was the minimum, right? and then 33 was the max. One well, and and, he was, he and so at the. So at this point in time, it was a weird, totally unfair makeup call for <laughs> screwing up and not being able, because it's double jeopardy, baby. You never get another <laughs> shot at OJ, but then he gave you another shot at OJ, and the karma or whatever winds up fighting him. But the, I think the ultimate karma, I hope it is, and, and, and I think this is just, is the fact that he deserved parole. He spent years mm -hmm. in prison. Um, he has not rehabilitated himself, nor is that one of the parole... Mm -hmm. Considerations. It's not. And we're all bummed that he's not more apologetic. And we're not we're all bummed that he's not more at least doesn't say it, pretended. Um, but he's out now because I in my opinion, legally, he deserves to be out. And and I think that's hard for us because um, we're so conflicted not only about the facts of it, but he's he's this totally unique black man mm -hmm. at this time. And I'm excited about the fact that although I'm super disappointed he received such a harsh sentence. Um, I'm pleased that he's on parole, and, and we will see what he does with the rest of his life. Well, I want to ask you guys, think for a second, I'll give you a second to think about it. Where, if let's flash, flash forward three years, I want you to tell me in a moment where you think O.J. is. Is he living in obscurity? Is he out of his own reality TV show or what? But to the to the karma point, I want to reflect. I thought this was interesting because I one of the, the things have come out recently about the past, which I had forgotten or never knew, which is that he was convicted of the robbery in Nevada 13 years to the day that he was acquitted of the murders. Of, of, wow. Yeah, so uh, to, to speak of some sort of karmic wheel turning <laughs> and then him going uh, away to the slammer on the, on, on the very day that he did not wow. earlier for the crime mm -hmm. that he thought he did commit. So uh, who wants to go first? Raise your hand. Okay, Jeff, where will O.J. Simpson be in three years? Will be in the public eye? Well, you talk about how conflicted you were now. I think we're going to be really conflicted because O.J. Simpson is among the most talented black entertainers in the world. And that's what he's going to come out as. He's a gifted actor. Mm. He's incredibly compelling. He's good looking. I know that he's older and, and, and not as thin and those sorts of things. But he is very well spoken. He is incredibly engaging. He will be talking in, in some way. Maybe a reality show. But mm -hmm. I think that you could find him. He might be. On sports broadcasts, he might, I, I know that that's a little loony because I don't. Maybe you never can get him there, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but um, I think that he actually will. 
I'm hoping that it's something that's not tawdry and ugly. That's mm-hmm. what I'm a little bit worried about mm-hmm. because he's got to make money to pay off the civil settlement, right. which Where's is another it? little yeah. bit of justice that happened that mm-hmm. he does owe that civil judgment. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah. Yeah, I disagree, uh, but we're just speculating, so, <laughs> so we'll see. A, a quick note on, on, the, on the karmic justice that I think is at play here, and I wonder what the opposite of a scapegoat is. Because I think that's what OJ actually is, is that there's, there's a level of karmic justice mm-hmm. at play here, as you alluded to in the cycles, mm-hmm. that 13 years to the day and all that. There's something deeper. And if you look at the level of, are Ronald Goldman's parents getting justice? Mm-hmm. Are Nicole Brown's family, is there any justice in that? No, there isn't. But there is perhaps a higher justice, which has to do with you know, this is the like the reverse of a scapegoat. I don't know what it is, but this is somebody who's gotten let off for something that he did do mm. that ha- serves a higher shamanic healing or a higher collective healing kind of thing. Can we do this, Ray? Yep. Next episode, yep. opposite of a scapegoat. Can you come up with that? Okay, we'll, okay, you're uh, the writer, we'll take it as a challenge. The novelist, yes. Yes. if nothing else. <laughs> I, yes. yes, exactly. <laughs> well, if it doesn't exist, we'll invent it. And I don't think he's going to be in the public eye, and this is the reason is the images of Nicole Brown being brutalized in the seven years they were married or 10, I might have the multiple dimes of domestic violence bleeding from the head, scars, scratches, and the photos from the crime scene. Can't come back. Brutal. I don't even want to describe them. I don't think you get in the public eye at all. I just, I I hope that he lives a quiet life. Yes. uh, Seek some redemption does something good, and the, this reality TV maw that we have <laughs> stays out of the way. Maybe he was the, the opening of the reality TV window, and perhaps he will be the closing of it as well. Ooh. So let's move on. I want to ask you guys, you know, we live in a hyper-partisan age, uh, as I think we all know or feel to some extent, and, and the, you, you guys sit on slightly different sides of the political divide, uh, liberal to my left, Paul, and right to my right. Conservative to my right, <laughs> yes. Jeff, yes. And uh, I want to ask you sort of what, what's been your recent experience with media? Because also we tend to sit inside our media bubbles and, and read the the uh, news accounts or the magazines and whatnot that, that tend to reinforce our uh, ideologies and whatnot. That, 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 that's kind of well known. But where, where, where do you go to get the opposing view or what would you recommend or what's your appetite for reading something on the other side of the partisan divide? Um, Jeff? So, um, I think that, you know, you said what is like a, like an antidote to the hyperpartisan. Um, I have none. I'm none. And, and, uh, you know, I think that the, um, that the, when we're living in an age where the fourth estate has given up any idea about objectivity and they're unashamed about it, they, they're taking sides in a cultural war, which I guess at some level I don't blame them for, but it is scary to me. And so I'm not getting answers from media. I'm getting answers from friends in a way that makes me hopeful because I, you know, we were together uh, last podcast and I just, I was so hungry for, would you guys give me an insight into, I've read some stuff that I think is kind of liberal, like Rolling Stone, and it's just so screedy and ranty and it's so choppy that I just can't do it for any long period of time. They're screaming at me. They hate me. It's very hard to be taught in an environment like that. I should be bigger than that, but it's hard. And, and you had suggested, um, in, in I'm sure, a Trojan horse effort to 
convert me to proselytize me to your liberal skeptical ways. And, and, and I read that, uh, and you, you gave me a copy of The Atlantic, which you mm -hmm. found to be a decent publication. You thought it might mm -hmm. be a good thing for me to read. And asked me the same. Mm -hmm. And we talked about other things. I went and read that The Atlantic from cover to cover and wanted to, you know, there was really a part of me that, because we're just in such a hateful, weird age that wanted to hate it and be able to come back and say, wow, Ray, you know, it was mean and it was ugly and it was, it was none of those things. It was fair. I mean, to defend, maybe it's an, an insult to me, but boy, it seems like they put the long and long form journalism. <laughs> it's longish. A little hard for me. But it was, uh, first of all, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a gift from a, a, a friend that is a good, it's, it, I, I don't know what I'm saying here other than it's a good hearted, thoughtful gift of this might be something you would find profitable. And so I, I tried to take it in that light, and it was, and, and I thought that it had good viewpoints. I was reading about stuff I probably wouldn't be reading about, um, or at least a different take on it, and I thought it was really exciting. I had a friend reach out this week and say, who is not a conservative, and I don't think is planning on converting to be a conservative, but was like, I want you to put together a book list for me that uh, conservatives would read. I, I want to I have a little bit of that. I want to know more about it. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to connect better with it. And I thought, there's hope in that. There's mm -hmm. hope in that. And, you know, smart, good people of faith, meaning faithful people, not necessarily being people of, of religion or that sort of thing, but mm -hmm. just people being good to each other, knowing that we're maybe on a very, it, it, coming from different places, but wanting to come together. And it, it's made me unbelievably hopeful uh, that it's almost, it, but it's a grassroots thing that I'm seeing. I ain't seen it in the media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I look forward to hearing your Recommend recommendations to me about a good right side uh, magazine or, or book, as as the case may be. Um, my note on the Atlantic, and uh, you know, Ray, you called me a liberal, but I, I've actually never identified as a liberal <laughs> myself. I, I, I've actually considered myself more of a progressive than anything is the word sure. that I would use. But I just don't think my political philosophy is evolved enough to like really get a serious adult <laughs> label to it. I just <laughs> don't. Fair. I'm Funny kind of an too. idiot and a child i think in a lot of well, my, a lot of my political thing i don't know i don't take it that far but um um and so like in the more progressive side i kind of like the harper's uh you know wildness out the edge outside the box kind of thinking i think as far as that goes but you know your original question Ray, was actually about what is not hyper partisan media mm -hmm. right right and um Jeff didn't have any, and I'm going to answer similarly and say I think the the closest I can come is Pitchfork magazine, <laughs> music reviews. Yeah, you know, and right, I mean, meaningful, substantive, cultural. You know, the time, the spirit of the times, and yet. <laughs> No place for that kind of partisanship. It's a different right? sort of culture war. Yeah, you just talk about whether the music is good or not. Yeah, that's good. Sounds good. More gibberish for me. Yeah, um, let's hear some pitter-patter. I'm never sure of this kind of thing. Um, first up, ask Dr. Zen. Dr. Zen, how far can I go in treating my beloved cat Guadalupe as a member of the family? I'm planning on adopting her as my child. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You can go as far as your heart desires. Oh. Yeah. And we were, we were kidding each other because before the show... Um, my cat Lupe was up on the table. Oh, your cat's Lupe? My cat Lupe <laughs> That's was up on the table. And I said, oh, Lupe, aren't you enjoying having 
Jeff here and saying hi to him. And you chuckled and I said, oh, Jeff, aren't you enjoying Lupe's personality, which I'm projecting onto her? <laughs> and you turned and said, we're talking about anthropomorphizing animals yeah, today. I, I'm using it as a riff. Uh, by the way, that was, uh, was from Glenn Scott in Scott's <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, oh, so, um, okay. Yeah, Very not good. me. Um, and so I, and I was going to chat a little bit about anthropomorphizing animals who have always been very uncomfortable with a lot of that. I don't believe they're human beings. I believe human beings have a certain uh, specialness and dignity and, and, and inherent uh, something special in them that is diminished if you treat animals like them. And I still believe that at some level. But the interesting thing for me has been that I have our beloved Shih Tzu Delilah, and, uh, and we have anthropomorphized Pomorphized her in every way. She's just like a little child in many ways. And, and she, <laughs> one of the things I said is I was never going to spend thousands of dollars putting an animal back together. If they had, mm -hmm. you know, if they had an iodine deficiency or they did something <laughs> else with, sure enough, my beloved Delilah tore her ACL and I'm spending thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and we're rehabbing her. <laughs> and we love her. She's very sweet. She's a little part of the family. And, um, and uh, you know, I've told myself I'd never do it, but I find myself being being won over by her sweet little face. Well, I mean, I understand. And you got to get her back on the field because she's part of the breadwinner of the family, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, that's so true. Um, note for me, Dr. Zen, is it bad that I write so much comedy material uh, during my meditation? It's, it is, if it's funny... <laughs> It's not bad. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Is that, is yeah. that what Buddha would say? Yeah. I think so. That's what If he were in the audience, that's what, funny, that's what he would don't say. Don't do it. If it's not funny, it's bad. <laughs> uh, real quick, um, uh, the latest entry in the Misanthropy Marathon, uh, the guy with all, the girl with all the gifts, now humanity, remember I whine about humanity getting kicked, its butt kicked in every movie and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Now humanity loses to zombies. I mean, really loses to zombies. <laughs> So that was uh, Tesla mm -hmm. is, I think, the next real sponsor of the show. Indeed. Uh, not Nikolai. That's, I'm, that's going in a different direction. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Oh, but no, that is the Tesla shirt. Yes, yeah, so I'm wearing a shirt, coincidentally. This was not planned, but I'm wearing a Tesla shirt that I got for donating to the Warden, the library, the Tesla uh, museum that was setting up on at Wardenclyffe on Long Island, where he was building one so of his cool. wireless towers. So cool. Yeah. Did build, by the way, Did, uh, a yeah, wireless tower indeed. that broadcast indeed. electricity. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think it's a cool buzz for them, uh, you know, and they'd get press and um, just literally millions of, of listeners. I just don't think that could hurt Elon Musk. So I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I know he's got a lot on his plate. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and I hate AI. He hates AI. He's mm -hmm. scared. Yeah. I'm, I'm scared. Mm -hmm. I just feel we're really, there's a lot we have in common. Um, and uh, and that, that would make a real natural Do you also believe we can run a 700-mile-per-hour train between Washington, D.C. and New York? Sure. Sometime in the next sure. several years? I don't see anything that go wrong. Let's start digging. I don't see anything that go wrong. I, I'd be willing to change the name of the podcast for that episode. Yes. Dr. Tesla, yes. greatest of all hyperloops. Uh, <laughs> we could <laughs> That's right. plenty of yeah. opportunity. Okay. Yeah. The open offer, yes. We will do that. We will all do that. Yeah. I, I he can't turn it down. It. I endorse yeah. it. Um, and then uh, next week, um, we'll pick up on this. Um, I doubt the veracity of the narrative in The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band which peaked at number three in the Billboard Hot 100 chart at 79. So we'll explore that in the next <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
Do you doubt the devil part or the Georgia part? There's a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay, just a reason to be skeptical. Come back. All right. Well, with that, uh, it also gives us the chance that next week you might be able to do one of your classic. Outros. Outros, yeah. Oh, you yes. might be doing chicken in the bread patch, picking out dough or something. <laughs> or... Oh, go for it. You got it going now. Come on, boy. No, 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 no. Right now. Right now. <laughs> we have a, a, we have time to do it. I'm not. All right. Ready. Okay. Well, we'll we could queue up an outro too. There's there's the very minimum post production budget, but I think it'll cover <laughs> stealing that that those three bars. Thank you everybody for your patience and your forbearance for the nonsense that has been Doctor Zen and the greatest of all sinners. Forsooth. <laughs>